Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And hello once again. This is Coach Chuck Creasy. It's another week of American Tennis. Every week we try to have a great guest on that can discuss different topics about tennis and just give you some other viewpoints. Sometimes I just hang on the line and and do a lot of the talking, and uh, I don't know what's the matter with me. I All I do is think about tennis day and night. I'll, I'll wake up in the middle of the night, and uh, I have a notepad there, and I just write stuff down, but I'm trying to figure it out always. Everything from uh, different ways of playing to managing momentum, of course, has always been a big deal for me. But uh, I, lately on my mind, I've got to go and talk to you about where this starts out. Uh, I've been wondering why why the motivation levels of young people do not seem to be the same as they were. And at the same time, I keep wondering what's going on with our sport. Why are we going to a lot of different gimmicks and, and quick fix things and and uh, the general uh, lack of respect for the sport in so many ways. And, uh, you know, so basically that's where my mind goes. And I'm thinking about it day and night a lot of times. And um, I, that's the central focus other than my family trying to do a great job with my team. But I'm always thinking about what's going on with with, with tennis. And um, one time, Clarence Mabry, I was, I, I've often spoken about this. I was at the National Teachers Conference in New York in 1980, and I'm a young coach sitting there, and somebody asked Clarence, what is the most important quality of a championship tennis player? And he said, most definitely the hunger of an inquisitive mind. And that's part of the thing that bothers me, too, how young people are not trying to figure things out as much. But anyhow, we've got a great program for you today. Uh, We've got Coach Randy Blumendahl on here on the line. And I'm not going to – he's only got a short time because we grabbed him off the tennis court. But uh, I'll go into some of his bio and some of his stuff 
after he's on. But I, I think if anybody matches up with me as far as having tennis on their mind night and day, it's it's Coach Randy. And uh, Randy, thanks for being on the program. And uh, we got to have you on more often, man. Or you just you're just pretty busy trying to figure things out yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on the show. This has been great, and I I miss being on more. But um, yeah, we've been we've been uh, very busy here in South Carolina. So I've yeah. been enjoying. Well, it. You, you're quickly developing one of the top junior training programs in the state of South Carolina. And, uh, you know, we can talk about that on another program, but uh, I called you on a spur of the moment this morning, and I, the, the program I put here, I put, will pickleball take over as the number one racket sport? And I put pickleball was once looked at as a passing fad. Today, tennis clubs and resorts are going to, uh, going to pickleball as a, the staple for senior citizens and many more. Will it upend tennis? Um, and would you mind just real quickly before we get started here? Uh, I, you know, I've chat, I've talked a lot about senior citizens as one of the sleeping giants of tennis. We used to have senior citizens play tennis all the time, and uh, golf's been able to hang on to their senior citizens, but we have lost them to this daggone uh, what do I want to call it uh, alien from another planet sport called pickleball that a lot of people just, holy cow, I mean, it's almost laughable when you think about it if you're a true tennis person, but but people like it. Can you talk about what's going on there just a little bit, and then we'll get to the reasons why, Coach. Um, well, the, the pickleball's caught on pretty quick. I say pretty quick, it, it's, you know, it's, it, started in the early 70s so it really hasn't been that quick but there's been a little bit of a of a rush to play the game and probably with the retirement community in the last I don't know probably 10 years um, and I think it, it's a game that is easier it takes less time to learn how to, to uh, require, uh, get the skill that's needed to, to play the game and therefore, it, you know, you can pick it up quickly as you retire. Um, it takes a little bit less space. So the facilities, they can put more people on a facility than maybe they could in the same amount of space as they could a tennis court. Um, and I think, uh, you know, as far as uh, making a facility, you know, they've made them as simple as just taping lines down and, and uh you know, put them on various uh, surfaces from indoor basketball courts to, you know, whatever hard <clears throat> surface there is outdoors. So, you know, anyway, it's an easy facility to, to put up. And, um, but the, the, the sport itself seems to be catching on fairly quickly, and, and it's something that, you know, a lot of tennis players talk about. Well, so did uh, racquetball back in 1970s and 80s. We all know what happened to racquetball. It sort of went down the tubes. I remember every tennis court, it was an indoor court, people were talking about, hey, listen, they can put five racquetball courts in that place of uh, of the tennis courts. Uh, That one tennis court could be five racquetball courts, and racquetball was flourishing. 
and then they messed it up. Yeah. Now, I'm going to go there, too, a little bit, but I have my own theory about I lost interest in, in racquetball, and I'm going to come back to that in a second, but what they've done. But the old statement that easy to pick up also becomes easy to put down. Um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people are thr- running to this, I guess. <clears throat> excuse me, the th- reason people... Uh, the reason that I, um, I get upset a little bit about it is because our governing body, USTA, even, they are worried about pickleball. Oh, my gosh, and all they do is count the numbers. They don't look at the essence of the sport. You know, our sport's been right. around for 155 years now, I believe, and we had the tennis boom in the, in the 70s, but uh, I saw a statistic recently where it's still like the top five of all sports in the world. Uh, so uh, any thoughts on that? Are people overreacting um, right no, now? I, to I, this? I, go ahead. Yeah. I, yeah, I absolutely think they're overreacting to it. But we have um, a segment of our tennis community and that, you know, they, they're complaining about, you know, maybe how hard it is to acquire the skill and that of I think that's true in of tennis. And I think that is true. Yeah. I, I think it's always been a badge of honor, something that's kept people in the sport for fifty, sixty, seventy years is once you acquire the skill, then you have something a lot of people don't have, but you're able to go out there and play with other people with similar skills and it's a lot of fun. Um, one thing that you've talked about since the day I've met you is is dopamine and how it's it's attached to the sport of tennis and how it really helps you develop your skill and really kind of ties in the love of the game. And well, uh, you know, so I, I, I was going to jump in there because that. I've often yeah. I've often mentioned on this program. And to other people, <clears throat> I wonder why I stayed in tennis. I never had a tennis lesson. I went to the park every day, and then I got addicted to it sort of because it was so hard. But I, I really have said that often that I played tennis for the three drugs that I got at the park. <laughs> I got dopamine from making good contact with the ball. I, I Really, you would... The con- making contact in the middle of your strings and hitting that sweet spot was a rarity at first, and then it became a regularity, <clears throat> and then it became a an addiction, I would say. But the dopamine and then the adrenaline from competing against one per- one other person. I hated losing as a young person, still dislike losing a lot. But then the endorphins <clears throat> as well. So, um, you know, I, I completely agree. I, uh, and, and then, I, Coach, I don't want to take your thoughts away, but daggone it, when the rackets came out, I never will forget <clears throat> when the big high-tech rackets came out in the early 80s, I go, whoa, and everybody, they were, they were fads, the Prince rackets and, and everything, and they were trying to make it easier to play. I go, oh, no, that old saying, easy to pick up becomes easy to put down. And then, but here's the thing, Coach Randy. For immediately, about 1980, 81, I had been coaching 
college players for about six or seven years at the time, immediately players stopped going to the backboard. They stopped going over to do their 500 repetitions of a backhand on the backboard. Now, some did, a very few, but all the players used to go to the backboard, and I go, what is going on here? And, it, you know, if, if any of you went out and ever hit with a wood racket, you know, you would, get it, it, you would hunt for that sweet spot, but once they did the high-tech rackets, you would, you would hit the sweet spot every time, and it was sort of like, uh, okay, move on, what's next? I think it's similar to yeah. when they introduced the Big Bertha Golf Club or something, Instead of you know instead of the wood the yeah. wood rackets or the wood uh, clubs were the same. Go ahead, your thoughts, coach. No, it, uh, exactly. I remember being on the golf course with you, and you were telling me the same thing. And we'd hit with your old clubs, and and basically, if you hit them just right, the feeling of that was amazing. And then you could take one of those clubs that you're talking about and. It would go a mile, but the feeling of it was not – it just wasn't addictive at all. Like, it wasn't something you wanted to repeat and do over and over again until you got it right. And I think that's part of tennis that really makes tennis great. It keeps people coming out. It keeps them – it grows the game. And through technology, we have taken that away. I don't think it has anything to do with pickleball. I think it has very little. I think pickleball has an opportunity there because – we have taken that part of it away. I don't think that they actually have a better version of that. If anything, I think their version is still a little bit less than ours. But because it requires still less skill, if you're going to play something that doesn't really connect the dots with that part of how you fall in love with things, you might as well go with something that's easier. And I think that's where we're starting to lose some traction with tennis. Um, it, you know, and that we've talked about, I mean, it's been around for a long time and there was very limited. I mean, there was more interest in platform tennis than there would be in pickleball. And now there's a little bit of a boom because somebody, these guys want to do things. And I find, you know, even at the club I'm at, I find that nobody's really going out there and practicing. It's like what you said with the back wall, nobody, there's a few members that still do this, hit off the ball machine or hit off the wall or hit with each other, but most of them aren't doing that stuff anymore. And I think it has to do with the technology of the string, the technology of the racket. I mean, you can barely tell the difference between when you hit in the center of the racket and when you hit on the outside of the racket. And, you know, the the spins and everything, it's just dampened at best, but it doesn't feel the same. That's for sure, and, and, and it's not a feeling that I think even the young players that are coming up that they really get addicted to. I, I you know, uh, I have always said playing with a high-tech racket, there's some that I just can't stand. I'll tell the players, look, guys, that's like playing basketball with gloves on. You, you, you just cannot feel the ball at all. I said, that racket's terrible. They said, well, coach, I can hit it harder with this, all right? And, and, and exactly, you're exactly the truth. Now, the other part of that, I had a program a couple of weeks ago about the symmetry of the court and how the high-tech rackets have doubled the tempo 
on the court from basically about two sec four seconds per rally to you and back to me to now two seconds it's twice as fast and it screwed up the um the symmetry between your movement and the ball striking. In other words, everybody can hit the ball hard. So senior citizens are at a big loss because their ball striking, especially in the men's side, the women's side, this isn't a cut on the women, but it's, in some cases it's the technology's helped women's tennis because they've been able to sort of match up their the running with the ball striking and the art of ball striking with the running, that rather, the ball striking with the rather, uh, running. But the weekend warrior man that comes out and wants to slam balls hard, uh, now they get instant gratification, and it's no fun for the other guy because the other guy's hitting winners all the time, and there there's no uh, chess being played in, anymore. So uh, I... Yeah, I, uh, I can if you don't mind, yeah, I, I, I go, can elaborate go. a little bit on that as well. I mean, not the symmetry for sure is missing, but the artistry of the game, the the definition or the 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 game styles and the difference of the game styles is not as defined as it used to be, or it's not as different as it used to be, and therefore the other part that I see with growing the game or, you know, when I'm watching pro tennis on TV and I see some great matchups, I love to watch them, but I see eight people in the stands and two top 10 players. And, right. you know, whereas you'd have anybody in the top hundred and you'd have the stands full every time, um, they're playing the same. And I remember talking to a friend of mine that was around tennis a little bit but it was around sport all his life. And he said, man, everybody's playing exactly the same now. Why is that? Well, this is what I was getting to with the speed of the game and everything you're talking about with symmetry makes it where everybody's playing almost the same way. And it starts to favor game style. And we talked about that with scoring, and I see the same thing with the the, uh, technology. You start you start favoring game style. You start favoring power type game styles, um, and it takes away a, a big part of what made tennis great. You could win a lot of different ways, and it made it very interesting to watch. Well, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, it's it's really anybody out there. Uh, this just popped into my head, but I told two parents. Uh, this last weekend to sit down and watch the movie The Searching for Bobby Fischer. And that's about chess. But if you watch that, uh, it's really interesting how this kid had a, this little little boy had a uh, great gift for the game. And then he got his, they had the old coach, Ben Kingsley, and his parents, the, the dynamic there. But um, Ben Kingsley made a thing. He said Fisher, Bobby Fischer had a way of making a game not even the sport, but made it an art form, an art form. And that's what made it so brilliant uh, that it was much more than just a game. So I'm making the comparison here because tennis in that we have destroyed the symmetry, but we've taken away the dopamine rush. 
I've got two. I want to come back and stay on topic here, but we've done two things. We're taking away the the dope. The technology's taken away the dopamine. Uh, it's taken away the symmetry, but the dopamine rush is being hijacked by many many forms in our in our culture where people are not seeking that out so much. They didn't even know they were seeking it out, whether it's music or dancing or, or you know, what the heck ever happened to dancing? You know, people aren't, I mean, it's really weird the way that the dopamine's being taken away and it's been replaced by these uh, automated phones we have and computers and all that stuff. But, um, and you can make the, I guess the argument, Coach, I mean, basketball, the slam dunk used to be something so sensational, and there was even a time when Johnny Wood was coaching uh, Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, or Lou Alcindor when he went to college. But he remember, he had to develop the sky hook because you weren't allowed to stuff. And the reason why they weren't allowing stuffing the basketball was, <clears throat> was you know, just the art of, of all that they had to do. Now basketball is so boring then they put in the three-point shot, and, and you've got uh, – you don't have the multiple sets. You could argue too many home runs in baseball now. The home run used to be a rarity now that they juice the balls like they do. It's not such a rarity. You could say football games, seeing teams score 50 points. You don't have the 17 to 10 games or the 13 to 6 games and things like that that used to be so, so interesting that kept you riveting. And and uh, so I mean we're, we're we're doing it from both ends. What are your thoughts there? Uh, I well, first I I agree a hundred percent. The the um, you know the the you know it's a culture that we're talking about here, and and then you know I guess what we're getting at is how what do we need to do to go forward. I mean, we, we see everything that's happened and how it's starting to – and it's such a great game, and sport is such a great avenue. What do we need to do to go forward? I think we've we've made it into, you know, a monster, you know, economically and other things that just, you know, have – we've pushed away really what, what, it all be, what it all was about in the beginning. And I think we just got to kind of go back to the roots of all that. But, you know, the, the um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying. And I know that, um, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of getting at, you know, well, where, where do we go with this? I mean, if, if this is starting to deteriorate and, you know, we've talked about the scoring and we've talked and we can't take a time machine backwards, but what do we need to do to go forward? Yes, yes. How do we come that's what that, that's what we're constantly thinking about. Well and, um <clears throat> go ahead. I know I I uh, I want you to your ideas, but I am constantly thinking about how to get the dopamine rush set in a different way with our players. Okay, first of all the high tech rackets uh, players just don't practice as hard as they used to on their own. You have to design practices and get them out there, and people might say, well, that's just the culture of our kids. Well, maybe we've done that in much more areas than just tennis. Maybe we've done it in our educational system. Maybe we've done it with uh, whether it's the television or the cell phones or whatever. 
But uh, I saw something recently, Coach, uh, the, called The Social Dilemma on TV. And it, it I don't want to say it frightened me, but it opened my eyes big time to not just are we are the is are the potential for dopamine to be uh, uh, let go in the brain or however it works uh, in your brain by doing uh, the tennis or sinking free throws or hitting a golf ball over and over or something. Not only are we diminishing that, we are <clears throat> taking away young people's need to get that um they are being the dopamine of their brain is being hijacked by the cell phones by they and that the social dilemma thing was frightening the way they talked that these companies it's it's the bells or whistles and all the bells and whistles that they they set off to get the kids hooked on the snapchat or whatever uh, Facebook or whatever the stuff is, and you're going, woo, well, maybe they don't need to hit a tennis ball. So all we're coming at the kids with is, hey, you could be really good and you could get a UTR ranking pretty high. Well, that's not enough. Or even that's like an adult saying, hey, I get paid a lot if I do this job. Well, that wears off. The job has to be mm-hmm. satisfying enough and compelling enough to want to do whether you got paid or not. The kids have to be compelled. They have to be enticed from the inside out of to play tennis, whether or not they have a ranking or not, whether they become a world champion or not. The sport itself, the art form of that, you know, it, it should be enough, but but it's – it's it's not so we're they're getting hit from both angles and as a coach we're trying to figure out the answers there what what do you think I, coach? yeah well i agree with that i mean that's that's exactly where we're at in uh and you know as we go back to even pickleball like i don't think pickleball's the problem i don't think racquetball was the problem um you know, golf went, pickleball, has went through some of the like stuff. like the miniature golf of tennis. You know, I mean, I I, I call it the miniature golf of tennis. Yeah, but that's you don't, right. You don't think that's it's right. the problem. So go go ahead. No, no more than putt putt is for golf. I mean, it's the right. same thing. I mean, putt putt could have a world championship. That doesn't affect golf one way or another. I mean, they need to do what the right thing is for their sport. Um, you know. I, I, I I don't think it's any of that. Some people say, oh, it's it's the time. It's you know <clears throat> that you put it. I actually think that is what keeps people in the sport for long periods of time. So I I couldn't disagree more about the time that you put in. I think all the skill that's required and all the the length of time that that takes is is part of what people fall in love with with the sport. It's part of the whole you know, that, that makes it attractive to watch and makes, you know, just makes it something that you've got that's very unique to the rest of the world. So I, I don't agree with that part as it would be the same with any skill sport. And I just, you know, I, I think tennis is one of the best skills sports, but I think any skill sport you acquire that 
and you get excellent at that, and it becomes very, you know, it becomes intriguing to watch from the outside and intriguing to want to do as you grow up. So, um, you know, I, I think we we do have a great sport. The answers are, you know, we have to find ways to connect dots with these problems that we have and then throwing more marketing out there and just hoping that people are attracted to, you know, just instant gratification with that, I don't think it's going to be the answer to it. And I think we, we both agree on that as well. Um, we, uh, so, you know, moving forward with this, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think we always come to the end. I'm like, well, how do I, how do I get to the point where we could do that? And I know you've said you've got some ideas with that. Um, I had long talks with my groups that I work with on this stuff and, and, you know, really what the bigger picture is with all of this. I think constantly they're falling into comfort zone, you know, is, is more important than, you know, doing something that's special. So explain that, and, uh, you know, um, I, I, I think when, when I was growing up, the majority of the people that I did sport with, it, the, the worst thing that could possibly happen would be that they would be mediocre in the middle. Um, if they failed, they only wanted to fail for short periods of time, but being great at it was really what they were trying to do. They were trying to be the best. Um, some people the best in their community and then you had bigger thinkers who were trying to be best on a bigger scale. Um, but rarely was anybody going out there thinking that just participating was good enough when we were playing sports. Um, you know, a lot of kids that I around today, they get very nervous with the responsibility of being good. Once, once they have to be good, they don't see what value there is to really stepping out away from the the pack and, and doing something different. Um, it's it's much more comfortable for them to be right in the middle. In fact, I hear a lot of parents will say, you know, they'll try to put them in groups like that and constant, you know, whether it's academic, whatever it is, how do we get my child in the middle? And I would, to me, that would be one of the worst places to be. So it's always something that's kind of foreign to me. So I'm always kind of interviewing the players like, well, why would you even want to do that? But I think it gets down to, number one, they don't fear as much failing at a really, you know, failing to the point where they've got nowhere to go. You know, what that feels like to be at the bottom, That's there's no fear of that. And two, they don't see a whole lot of value in climbing all the way up to the top, meaning what, how, what's the difference in whatever they're doing day to day. And that's what we, when we start talking about, you know, what motivates players, you know, points, you know, if I've got the most point, what, what does that matter? It doesn't probably matter. It's got to be something that does matter to them. Like there has to be a carrot out there that matters. Her, uh, events of a heritage matter a ton, but you've taken away another motivator to a lot of the juniors out there. They don't have, they don't, because of the scoring and 
you leave a tournament with multiple winners a lot of times, especially the USTA tournaments, they don't clearly feel like they left the tournament and know who the best player is in the tournament. And what I'm getting at is one of the motivators is that they have peers that they're chasing after. They have rivals that they're chasing after, and they never really know whether they're better or not better than those rivals. So you've taken that away. You say, well, you've got some events of here. Yeah, maybe with a few events, but usually it's not clear anymore with a lot of these tournaments. Now, there's a few events of heritage is what you said, correct? Events of heritage. That means well-established events that have been there for years, and the kids mark (laughs) their progress by that tournament every year probably, and maybe even their parents did. In South Carolina, we took away that event. We did that a few years ago by just by default. Wow, Belton. Yeah. You know, yeah, Belton. I mean, kids literally would play the entire year to see how they would do at Belton. And now that's no longer – I mean, it's still there. The tournament's still there, but it does – I think the it's top blue players gray, playing it. I'm having blue yeah. group, level three right. – run by somebody in wherever the USTA is at. It's top-down management is so bad. USTA, it's so bad for motivation. It might be clean and, get, and, and yeah, you, it's, it's just so bad for motivation. You get a tournament that will split the draws, and you'll have two winners, and then you'll have three people win in the back draw because they won't play all the way out. You know, you'll end up with – in each age group, you'll end up with six winners, and you're, you know, you have a kid walking away and not even understand what, who had a good tournament, who did, who, exactly. who won the tournament, who the best player was in the tournament. He doesn't understand at all. And then with the uh, no third sets and you're playing tiebreakers, and the kids all know how random that is. They don't even. They know that maybe they played better than the other player and got beat that day. And, you know, with regular scoring, you might feel like that one out of 100 matches, but they feel like that probably every other time they play a third set tiebreaker. So if you constantly feel like that, I mean, you're, I could see where they're like, well, I don't even know what the value is to continue to do what I need to do here. Um, they don't have a clear way of really continuing on in their journey. You know, it used to be, hey, you just keep improving, get ready for the next tournament, and, hey, you might have a breakthrough. They don't really have that. I mean, I think they constantly feel like, hey, i got to keep jumping through the same hoops to stay in the same place, not to move forward, to stay in the same place. So we've created that a little bit with them, and – they I have that the environment a little bit. They got a lot of safety nets around them too. So yeah. you know, that, yeah, I mean, the marked, the marked rites of passage. Where I work right now at the Citadel, I absolutely love that there are marked rites of passage that are either time or merit based on time or merit, and they're marked. 
to where people know what they're after. And what you say is such a true thing. I've always uh, given the, the uh, statement that's saying that if you champion the weak, you end up weakening the real champions. Well, when ki- kids go away and there's three champions, they're not really a champion. They really don't know who the best player was. That's exactly right. I've always said that if you win that 10-point t- tiebreaker too, Coach, it's sort of like kissing Aunt Sally. You know, it's not really a kisser. You know, for a young lady, it would be like getting a kiss, kiss Grandpa Billy or something, I guess. So, But it's not really a marked ride. If, you know, uh, it's it's not really. The, and, and then if you lose, it doesn't hurt enough. I think that's the important thing, too. If you would go to a tournament and you would lose – and you would have to come back home, then you made a decision to recommit or you quit, you know, quit or recommit. So that that's really, really uh, interesting. I, You brought up the marketing part of it. We have allowed the marketeers, the marketing people, to sort of run the growth of tennis. But so much more now, uh, I don't want to – this is a very different topic, but the gambling industry is in on every college sport there is. Uh, they in the last I think five years ago they they okayed it and so what what they're doing now they really are working hard and the tennis sport of tennis to try to shorten it I believe coach so that uh, randomness prevails and but randomness does not spur kids to want to play so we might be end up losing our sport here um, I don't want to hold you up longer than you have. Um, do you have, have any more thoughts here? I I guess the solution, uh, Coach, uh, what what would be our solutions? And in, in what – I mean, it, it seems like we can name it, claim it, and try to, you know, tame it. But I think well, the I water think, is so muddy out there that nobody yeah, that's is doing that. Yeah, that's right now. I think, I think it's a mindset it's got to change. You know, we talk about how to change teams all the time and, and, you know, how to change players' mentalities on the court from being a favorite or from being an underdog to a favorite. I think we're in the same state administratively with tennis. It's a mindset. We have to stop looking for easy and we got to start looking for things that really make this sport great again or look look back and start figuring out what makes it great and move forward from there instead of trying to figure out well what's the hot topic today on instagram or whatever and then we're going to try to adapt that into our sport that hasn't turned out so well um and it won't it will continue to keep bastardizing our sports so the more they do that the, the more it's going to weaken us um so yeah, we have we have to have a mindset change with our administrators, with our leadership, um, and even with our coaches. It, and, and we have to go back to understanding that yeah, there's the thing about tennis that makes it great is the diversity of the game, but you can't take away the work ethic, so you have an advantage. You can't take away the game styles, so you have an advantage. Um, you can't take away whatever else you're going to do. So you feel like in the short term, you can make more money. You have to, you kind of have to stick with some 
base fundamentals of what the sport is all about. And we've lost rarely um, in a lot of our competitive situations and even in the recreational community. Um, and, and I think we're losing ground because of it. So I think it's going to be a mindset. And once we start thinking differently, the answers will be very clear. And we talk about them all the time. I mean, we can go back to, you know, moving forward, here's the way that the sport would really thrive again. But we we need people that are willing to make those changes. I mean, with, well, you know, we could have a whole segment on college tennis. We could talk about that. We can talk about recreational tennis. It's very similar mindsets that have made it spiral in these, you know, and everybody's looking for that savior of the sport, but really gets down to, Hey, we got to get back to, and I think that's what, for the most part, I think that's what baseball has done a pretty good job of. Um, it's been hit several different ways, and probably since the early '80s, I've been hearing, you know, the okay, the sport is past its time. I mean, we don't have a, we don't have spectators that want to watch these long games. I mean, we, and you know, they, I'm sure they tweaked a few things behind the scenes, but for the most part. They've tried to keep the the base of the game the same, and regardless of what you know what was hot the hot topic of that week, I remember they were trying to shorten games, they tried to change the bats they tried to i guess they have from time to time changed the balls. I don't know enough about it, but um anyway, what I'm getting at is, and I think golf has probably done a little better job than tennis with this as well um yeah. Guild sports is going to matter a ton, and people will point fingers at some other sports, and we can talk about those sports where they think, hey, we changed the diet, like volleyball. I don't think that they help volleyball. They keep oh, playing they I used to love watching. That up. I used yeah. to love watch the uh, side end scoring because you could play great defense in that sport, and and it was so interesting. Now they do that rally scoring crap. I call it. <laughs> It's it's really strategy out of it. it probably did. It if you talk to a volleyball coach, which I have a lot of good friends that are volleyball coaches, they'll tell you almost the exact same story. They'll tell you that it it makes it where it, you're one dimensional and you have to play a certain way to play that type of scoring. Well, that that's not interesting as a fan. I mean, we like the fact that you could win in volleyball several different ways. I mean, it was the 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 drama that was built with. Um, you know, the way they would hold serve and then the side outs. I mean, the drama was amazing. And now, you know, it's not as, I mean, there's some, some sports center highlight plays that I guess everybody thinks it's exciting for about two seconds. But as far as the emotions and the, the drama that's built uh, throughout the, uh, the, the game, I don't feel like it's the same, but anyway, that's, that's where I think, tennis is going i think we got sold a bunch of stuff um but we probably need to sit down and talk about you know each segment of it but i think it all boils down to the same thing i think we've lost our way with our leadership and we need to get back to a mindset where we understand really what made our sport great yeah i mean that's uh quite amazing the things you're talking about it, it goes back to leadership and I, I've always argued, I just, you sensed that something was wrong with the way that uh, 
no one was protecting the history and the heritage of the sport. They weren't protecting who the who the heroes were and uh, who the greats were uh, and making people learn the history and the heritage. And uh, the, the tournaments of heritage that um, Tim Wilkinson made the statement one time that players played for two reasons. Uh, rivalries and tournaments of heritage were the two reasons that, that they used. And it's just really awful that we don't see that. The, the, the historians um, of the sport are, are not to be found. They're not to be found in our sport. Now, the marketeers are everywhere, but the historians are not. So we need to be doing that. And then everyone's heard me talk so uh, straight out about the scoring system, Coach, the abbreviations and everything, how that's bastardized our sport. Um, you know, well, for long, but, 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 you know, one of the things that we we talk about a lot on the phone together is is how we're proud of the players we've coached and how they fell in love with the sport. And I think one thing we both agree on is is we try to teach the history of our sport. And it's not not something that is easily taught because that information isn't out there um, unless you really search it out. But I think we both do that. We both talk about, you know, where everything comes from, what what it's all about, how, you know, we amplify um, the champions in our sport, and we talk about how Grand Slam, you know, why they matter and all. And a lot of the, the results of this is the depth at which these kids have, you know, fall in love with the sport and they continue on with the sport. Um, you know, and I, I, I think that's really something that's very important. I, I, I think everybody should, that should be a part of what everybody's doing, whether you're a college coach or you're and you know, I've been around a lot of college coaches that did that. And I've been around a lot of college or I've been around a lot of pros at clubs that did that. Um, but it's something where I think we've lost our way a little bit, but I think that matters a ton. And, and these young people as is, is distracted as I think they are when we get them to read Rod Laver's book or, or uh, talk to them about Harry Hopman and, and, you know, talk to them about the first grand slam winner. I mean, they start to see, you know, that there's something bigger than themselves involved in this. And they start to get intrigued by it, and their minds start to get inquisitive, and all of a sudden they start thinking, "Hey, this sport's pretty neat," and they start putting in a lot more time with it, you know, even with all the traps that are out there. Um, so anyway, that's that's something that comes to mind, and I think we've done a very poor job of that. I mean, you watch Wimbledon, and you know, every once in a while you hear a blurb here and there, but we we you know we talk about political parts of the game historical political parts of the game but we don't talk about you know really the players that put in and made the game great and 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 did things that other people haven't done outside of whoever the hot player is today so and i i you know i watched one golf tournament and boy they if if i'm watching for an hour 
they've already went back in history 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years sometimes. You know, they, 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 the whole time they're talking about it. So, and I don't understand why we're not. Um, and I don't think that our leaders understand, you know, how much that matters. But again, you have to respect the game on a whole, you know, it's what you were saying, how easily we were letting that stuff go. I remember being in the college meetings and it was like talking about, you know, what beer you were going to drink that night with the scoring system. Yeah. What's, you know, what's big deal with no ad scoring was no big deal to, well, that's a huge deal, huge deal. And I, you know, I, I, It'd be like golf saying they're going to only play 17 holes or 16 holes. I mean, come on. Well, that, no that, we for like, like the that wasn't a big part. deal. <laughs> yeah. So. No, but no ad would anyway. be more like uh, you don't ever have to putt. Is getting the ball on the green. <laughs> you, you got, who's, yeah. who's the first to get No ad would be like who gets it on the green for The longest driver. Yeah. The, lo- the, the longest, longest driver. driver. Rah, yep. rah. You know, it's yep. – it's, it is is just really really something, but you bring up a lot of things, and and I we're still going to be searching for those answers, and um, I'm really very very grateful for you being on today. Do you have anything else? I know you're really really busy, but uh, I think you you've hit some some great things, and at least some great food for thought for anybody listening to this program, and I hope that our governing bodies, USTA. Would would listen to this, and I don't, you know, the ITA or whoever, you know, I hope that they would listen. But uh, usually, usually not. It goes by the wayside. There's so much information out there. It's like drinking water out of a fire hose. And um, you know, again, the hunger of an inquisitive mind doesn't happen when we have an answer at every corner. That everybody's a hero and everybody's. Uh, Everybody's automatically great at what they do. You you know, and uh, everybody's a hero on Facebook. I always say, <laughs> you know, anything else you got, Coach? Thanks, I really appreciate. You no, thank, thank you very much for for allowing me to be on the show, and you know, and thank you for doing what you do. And uh, you know, I I, I think that uh, the tennis community owes you a great deal, so I appreciate you letting me on here. And, well, that's, and, uh, that's kind. I'm, you know, we. Well, uh, I, I appreciate that, yeah. Coach, and you, you too, man. I, your mind is so good. I'm just hoping you, you're writing down your ideas because uh, there's a lot under the hood there with the, the way you think about things and. Uh, you, I sure, sure um, would like to see you in charge of some of this stuff. I'm getting a little bit older, but um, but we we need you in leadership, coach. So stay in the game and keep working with those kids. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, coach, and uh, good luck in the season. You take care. Okay, okay, coach. And, uh, guys, that's Coach Randy Blumendahl, and um, Coach Randy was college coach for. 25, 24, 25 years, and uh, he's, I don't think he's ever coached or been around, um, you know, uh, many players that didn't end up uh, just really getting to their full potential, and again, I love being around people who are deep and the hunger of an inquisitive mind's uh, but uh, he, one thing I picked up on that he does a lot, 
he's always asking kids, are you chasing down excellence? Are you going to chase down excellence here? And it's um, he tries to train kids in a way that it's not about, you know, how many trophies you win or how many, but the, to fall in love with the sport and, and, and for the long term. But uh, young people when people say that young people have changed, I don't agree. Uh, I don't. I, I I completely disagree. I I believe that young people are the same as they've always been. What's changed? The society has changed. The um, the again, what they're getting their dopamine rush from is. is and I folks watch watch that movie, The Social Dilemma. It will. It will completely show you what's going on with with uh, our young people and how the dopamine or the um, the pleasure center of the brain was being affected by these cell phones. Well, they don't need to to uh, play sports to feel better and things. And uh, maybe maybe our parents always wondered why we grabbed a bat and a ball and hit the back back door and were gone all day playing ball or playing tennis or playing basketball. But at the same time, there there is something going on there. But those who are marketing the game do not care about growing the game. They care about a fad that makes a lot of immediate money, and then next year they'll come out with another fad. So I, I think we've made a big mistake in letting the marketeers have more uh, power and authority than those people who are uh, this, uh, the people who are historians of the game and the protectors of the game and, uh, you know, the gatekeepers of the game. I have a sign here in my tennis center. I said, be a, be a gatekeeper of the work ethic and the, and the culture of our program, you know, a gatekeeper. In other words, you have a responsibility. We all have a responsibility to try to make our sport greater. We've got to figure out what's going on here. Now, you've heard me say over and over that, you know, easy pickups, easy to put down, and making things easier does not make them better. Um, and the, the, our sport, I, let me say this. I just went to lunch about an hour and a half ago, and I went over to our student union, and I got a, this lady to make a sandwich, and there's another lady in line, and she says, oh, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm, uh, I'm a coach. I coach tennis. Oh, gosh, I, my sister plays tennis. She loves tennis. She loves tennis. I said, well, you should try. It's a great, great sport. She said, well, I run all the time. And I said, well, look, you have to understand that it's the best sport ever, ever invented, but you're going to have six months of frustration with it. She said, really, Why? I said, it's extremely hard to pick up, but it will be extremely hard to put down. She says, yeah, my sister really, really loves it. She she has to go play her tennis. And I said, well, I said, it becomes that way. And it, the depth of it is tremendous, the mental depth, the emotional depth, the, the, the everything about it. I said, it is the violin, you know, of the orchestra. She says, really? She goes, really? I never I never thought that it was that hard. When I watch it, I said, no. I said, it's easy to hit the ball now because of the technology, but it is extremely, extremely hard to play and to learn. But once you do, you'll be, you'll be in it forever.
And I, I think what I'd like to do as a sign-off here is appeal to each and every one of you to think about the stuff we're talking about. And if you want to hit the two top things, we got to figure out uh, how to get our kids uh, manage those cell phones, manage all that. That's just basic 101 stuff of uh, bringing up kids. We've got to all do that. But let, let's fight for our traditional scoring. Let's fight for having actual winners at tournaments and events. Let's fight for the, the protection of the history and the heritage of our game through the, the tournaments, not just regulating them to a top-down management, government-run situation where people are managing that tournament and our kids are chasing points. We would never want our kids to grow up thinking that, oh, if you just make money, you're going to be take any job for making money. We get to try to get them a career, a vocation, not just an occupation, don't we? Well, we should we should be trying to to do that, but we've got to get the right people. And I'm not saying I'm not calling out anybody that they're not competent or something like that, but we have to get people who have the objectives of protecting the history and the heritage of our game and, and absolutely growing our game through the class that it is, through the history, the heritage, and, and the fantastic, the fantastic art form that it is. Um, hey, watch Searching for Bobby Fisher, A Social Dilemma. Read Rod Laver's, Rod Laver's book uh, by Triumph Books. It's just Rod Laver. Oh, my golly. I have all my students, my players read that book uh, to try to fall in love with the game. It, it's fantastic. Uh, but we do have the greatest sport ever developed, uh, folks. And I'm more than uh, uh, grateful for you all listening. And uh, Coach Randy Blumendahl, uh, uh, probably one of the favorite people I could ever talk to because the way his mind is always searching for excellence. And, uh, one, you know, kids will go to their comfort zone. We all know that who have kids. Uh, you've, we've, got to for, we've got to make kids do the right things early. Human beings will have to learn how to do the right thing. Nobody does the right thing automatically. Usually we'll gravitate towards being lazy instead of hardworking. We'll go to the thrills instead of the skills. And we will do the wrong thing a lot, and we have to train uh, people to do that. But, but let's, let's get our kids back uh, learning a lot of life skills through the sport of tennis. So anyhow, well, listen, I, it's, it's about time for me to go. I wanted to just say thanks for listening to Coach Randy Blumendahl. And you can find him in Columbia, South Carolina. I think he run, runs a, a place in Columbia, South Carolina, Coach Randy Blumendahl. And, uh, it's, um, and we'll be talking more next week. But for now, we've got we to go.
And as Coach Chuck Creasy reminding you that you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with a win or a loss, and we'll see you next week.